we were broken, sinful and wretched. A stain soaked deep into the fabric of humanity, consumed by death, covered in darkness, lost in the wilderness, set adrift in the vastness. But God, he was consumed too, unwilling to watch his creation wander endlessly, unable to sit by as we dove deeper into the abyss. He was overcome by love, by grace, by mercy. He took our pieces and gave them purpose. He took our shattered spirit and gave it hope. He took our destiny and reshaped it. Though we were unworthy, He counted us worthwhile. We were broken, but in the hands of God, we've been made whole. you're glad for that, let me hear your hands. <laughs> that is the sleepiest clap I have ever heard. I tell you what, I don't know who invented daylight savings time, but I don't think it was anybody I like. <laughs> glad you're here. Glad you're here. Glad you made it this morning. And then you pile a snowstorm on top of it and, you know, it's just... Uh, just glad you made it. Glad you slid into church this morning. And uh, if you need to get a double dose of coffee, feel free to do that as well. want to encourage you to pick up our, our invite cards for Easter. That's coming up right, right around the corner. We're going to have a great time on that Sunday, a great opportunity for you to bring someone with you to hear about the good news of Jesus and what Jesus changes in us, changes everything. And I'm glad for that. Aren't you? Thanks to both of you. We're going to continue our series here before this gets any more depressing. We're going to continue our series here on our, we talked about our values. What do we build ministry on? And then we've taken four weeks now to talk about our vision statement that we live in a broken world, broken in so many, many ways. And this broken world needs us to extend something to them. We're here not just to fill a, a room or to gather together and worship. We're here to make a difference in the world around us. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Those are the, that's the calling that Jesus has put on our lives. And what is it we're extending? We talked last week about extending hope. A world without hope, broken and dying. Bringing exists to extend hope and wholeness to a broken world. Hope is empty, vain, and manipulative if it doesn't have wholeness attached to it. If we're not offering something with hope that changes people's lives, We've got no business to talk about hope at all because hope isn't just a mindset. It's a belief that God can do something about the circumstances and situation that you're in. And the word wholeness is an interesting one in scripture. It has a depth of meaning. The Greek word is sozo from which we get our concept of salvation or doctrine of soteriology, sozo. It's about being made complete, whole, restored in your relationship to God. It includes being healed. It includes the idea of being kept safe and sound to be rescued from danger and destruction, to save from perishing, to save from disease, to make well, to restore, to preserve. All of that's wrapped up in the idea of wholeness, that you were broken and away from God and he did more than just set you on your way to heaven. He made you whole in this world that you live in now. And that's the message that we proclaim wherever you are and whatever you've experienced, whatever anyone has gone through. How many of you believe with me this morning that Jesus has an answer that will lead you from your brokenness to his wholeness. Amen. He does that and we need to believe that. The Bible tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. 
That's what Jesus does. That's what we offer to this world. And this morning, I want you to think about the concept of wholeness, what it looks like, how we extend it, why that matters to us, and what it means to engage in that process of moving from brokenness to wholeness. Because if we don't understand that, we can't extend it. And we have to have received it to be able to offer it to someone else. We have to be recipients of his wholeness. And I want to suggest to you this morning that wholeness begins with a decision. It begins with a decision. In John chapter 5, we've got an incredible story about a man who's laying beside a pool, the pool of Bethesda. And it was a superstitious pool. And I know there's disagreement over what really is happening in John chapter 5. But you've got a picture there. There's a bunch of sick people, lame, crippled, various things that are wrong with them, all gathered around the pool. And why are they gathered there? Because they have this belief that when the water is stirred, the first one to get into the water will be made whole. And when you read it in scripture, it's eliminated from some of the newer translations, but when you read it in scripture, it almost sounds as though scripture is telling us that that's what happened. But as you read that, that can't be what happened. It doesn't make any sense. Scripture won't uh, contradict itself or deny God's nature and character, because if that's really what's happening, that's a pretty arbitrary God. That the first one who gets to the water gets healing... That means the one who needs it the least gets the first privilege. The first one to get there gets in the water, and then that's the only one. So can you imagine a God in heaven that's watching to see if everyone's paying attention, then sends an angel down and stirs the water and somebody jumps in and is made whole? There's no record of anybody being made whole. But it was a superstitious belief of the people of that day for some unknown reason. There are reasons behind that perhaps, but don't really know why they believe that. But they have gathered around this pool hoping in an ineffectual hope that they'll be the one to get into the water, gathered around the pool of Siloam, right outside the Sheep Gate. So it's near the temple. It's right by where people meet with God. And the Bible says it this way, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well, well, whatever disease he had. Again, scripture makes no reference to anyone actually ever have been healed. The least needy ones then are the ones most likely to receive. And I do not believe that God is random in his ministering to the lives of people that he's going to say, if you can pick yourself up by your own bootstraps, I will help you. If you do what you can do, I'll, I'll make, but you've got to do your work. Now I get that faith and works go together, but this is a God that I don't understand. And I'm absolutely convinced there wasn't anything about it that was from God. It was a superstition of the day. Do people do that today? Oh, sure. How many of you have seen the ads? Maybe it's just what I happen to watch, but the ads of Miracle Water. How many have seen those? Listen, I can sell you some, or I can give you some used bubble gum. It'll be just as effective. This Miracle Water in a little blue packet, you snip it and drink it, and then miracles begin to happen. How ridiculous a mindset is that? All kinds of things that happen in our world. And it's right near the sheep gate. The sheep were brought in through that gate for sacrifice, and what should that have reminded them? That there was a Lamb of God who would come and take away the sins of the world. So here you have, rather than a response to God's provision for mankind, you have people gathering around a pool right outside the temple hoping for some superstitious solution to their problem. Many, many people today are putting their hope in a solution that cannot help them. Believing in superstition, serving God as though it's a magic talisman, hoping that if they do the right thing or believe the right way or do the right, may take the right steps that God will somehow um, respond to them and they'll earn a response from him. Superstition abounds in Christian circles today. 
And by the pool, there's a man who's been there 38 years. 38 years. Is there anyone here this morning that is exactly 38? One over here? Did I see a hand in the balcony? All right, so stand up, 38 years. The entirety of her lifespan, this man is laying by this pool, doing what? Waiting for, thank you, waiting for the water to stir. So that's commitment. Hello? I mean, that's, that's pretty big commitment. I could say a lot of things. We don't have much in our world today that lasts 38 years. 38 years waiting there, hanging out, hoping that some solution will come his way. That's a long time to wait for nothing to happen. God forbid that our churches become a place where we simply wait on superstition to do something that it can never do. Because our faith isn't in methodologies. Our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anyone hearing me right now? It's not the way we do it. It's not the methods we use. It's not whether we anoint or lay on hand. None of that is the issue. The issue is, is our faith in God who has a solution for us? Have we turned our attention to him? Are we believing in the Lord Jesus Christ to be the one that meets our need and satisfies us? So this pool, a host of people, 38 years this guy's been there. And Jesus walks up to him and says, do you want to get well? I don't know how that approaches you. But at first glance, that strikes me as a ridiculous question. Of course he wants to get well because he's at the pool. He's waiting for the water to be stirred, right? I mean, why else would you be there if you didn't want to get well? Why else would you come to church if you didn't want your life to change? Why else would you do the things we do if you didn't believe there was a solution? But Jesus says to him right at the core of his being, do you want to be well? And you know what the man does? Watch this. What does the man do? How many are with me right now? Three, good. That's better than I expected. What does the man do when Jesus asks him if he wants to be well? He doesn't answer the question. He blames others and makes an excuse. He must have been assemblies of God. How can I? If someone doesn't help me, and someone always gets in before me. Now just hear me, please hear me for a moment. You will never find wholeness as long as your problem is somebody else's fault. The blame game won't help you out of your problem. It'll never make your life better. Well, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what's happened uh, in my family. You don't know what the situations are I've had to deal with it with. Blaming and making excuse, if you only knew how hard it was for me. You'll never get well. Hello? You'll never find wholeness as long as you're making excuses and blaming others. I've shared my story, bits of it from time to time. And when I went to Bible college, graduated, and was in my first ministry position, my mother would call at times when she was a little bit lubricated. How many understand what I mean by that? How many of you are comatose right now? It's just like, oh, I don't even care. I just need another cup of coffee. <laughs> And she would call and she would be upset and feeling guilty. And she would say, I know I was a terrible mother. I know I was a terrible mother. And one day I got tired of those calls. And I said to her, you are right, you were. During that time of our life, you were a terrible mother. 
But I'm not that person and you're not that person today. And I'm not listening to your whining anymore. I'm not responsible for what you did to me. I'm responsible for what I've done with what happened to me. I'm an adult. I need to make my own choices. And you will never get well. You will never find wholeness. You'll never move from the spot you sit in as long as it's your spouse's fault, it's your kid's fault, it's your boss's fault, it's the government's fault. Grow up and take responsibility for your own life and your own choices because you will not find wholeness as long as you have an excuse and someone to blame. Do you want to get well? It begins with a decision. Do you want to get better? You have to make a decision to get well. Do you want to get well or do you want to stay sick? William Barclay said, an Eastern beggar often loses a good living by being cured of his disease. Now watch, I'm going to mess with you a little bit. Since you're not responding, I'm just going to do what I want to do. He has, he, watch this. How did he live for 38 years? By begging. And I'm going to suggest... <laughs> That <laughs> I'm going to suggest that he was making a pretty good income laying there or he'd have find another street corner. Come on, help me now. His needs were being met. He was... He had the sympathy of people that walked by. He can't move on his own. And he's learned how to survive on what other people give him as long as he stays sick. What happens if he gets well? He has to leave the pool. He has to leave the free gifts. He has to leave the life of begging. He'll have to get a job. He'll have to become a productive member of society. He'll have to pay taxes, whatever they had done. You can develop an identity wrapped around your dysfunction that keeps you insulated and secure and terrified to let go of who you are. I am a sick crippled man I can't get help you have to take care of me that's what keeps people sick today someone else will help me someone else will pay my bills someone else will satisfy I have family members that live that way I'll never forget getting a call from my mother about a family member said they're going to be on the street tomorrow you've got to do something and I said no I don't in fact maybe if they spend a night on the street they'll get a job on Monday I can't undo the consequences for people's lives who don't want to get well and if you don't want to get well then you've chosen the consequences you're living with Maybe the reason everyone around me doesn't like me is because I'm the one that is being difficult to like. He loses it all. Let me show you something else that I've discovered about people. <laughs> Are you ready? Somebody needs to hear this, either for you or someone else. Multitudes of people want freedom from their symptoms, but not deliverance from their problem. I want my pain to go away, but I don't want to have to be whole. Take the pain away. You say, why, why are you saying, because I've been at this now for a couple weeks, pastoral ministry, I've dealt with people over and over and over and it's shocking to me how many people want their pain to go away but they don't want to change the lifestyle that's causing them the pain. They don't want it to change. And so I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying you can't help people that don't want to get well. And I... <laughs> A couple of things that governed my life when I first went into ministry. One was I wanted to be on good terms with everybody. 
I wanted to make sure that anytime I saw anyone, we were clean, I could shake their hand and we'd be good. And that lasted about 10 days. There's some people, how many know there's some people you can't reconcile with? They won't allow it to happen. And I had to quit living under that guilt that if you are going to be an impossible person, I don't have to live under the guilt of your dysfunction. Your dysfunction is not my fault. Come on. It's not my fault. Sometimes people enjoy what they gain from that. And I, and, I've, and I believed early in ministry that everybody could be helped. I had this naive notion that if I gave you enough information and structure and a plan and Bible that everybody could get well. Some people have developed a dysfunctional identity that serves them in achieving what they want to achieve and they don't want to get well. So when Jesus asked a man who had laid there for 38 years living off of society, do you want to get well? I believe it goes to the heart of the matter of wholeness that you can't help people get well who won't acknowledge that they're sick. The healthy don't need a physician. So when we look at the world around us, if all I do is try to eliminate the symptoms of your life choices, if that's all that I do is try to make your pain go away, I'm enabling you to continue in a dysfunction that will ultimately destroy you, that sometimes people have to feel the consequences of their dysfunction. I'm not trying to be mean, I'm just saying to you, you have to decide I want to get well. In counseling, there's a saying that has really helped me. Until the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change, people will choose to stay the same. It's not the carrot on the stick that'll motivate change. It's recognizing that I'm broken. I don't like these symptoms. And you can mask them with painkillers spiritually, or you can decide, I want to get well. Jesus strikes right at the heart of the problem when he says, do you want to get well? We can extend it, but we can't make people want it. We can extend it, and we can't make people choose it. And in this culture, people want peace and love and joy, but they want to live in all kinds of ungodly lifestyles and fight anything that looks like righteousness because they want the benefits of a relationship with God without the lifestyle that goes alongside it. And I can't help you then. So extending hope means also extending wholeness. They go together. I've got to extend that as well. And this is what I find also fascinating. Watch. There's a guy that's been there 38 years. How many think that there were some other people around him that knew him? You think? Somebody had to know him after 38 years. I suppose you come to Brian for 38 years and nobody know you, but then you've got an issue now. <laughs> and Jesus says to him, walks up, says, do you want to get well? And then says, take up your bed and walk. And the guy picks up his bed and walks and there is no response to Jesus from the other sick folk around the pool. Don't you think that it would have been natural for them to rally around. He touched, can I be next? Can I be next? Can I? But he not only was dysfunctional, he lived in a culture of dysfunction. And they were more preoccupied with their own needs than they were the savior that was in their midst, that it just demonstrated the life that he could give, that just demonstrated how he could set them free. And no one responded because they'd rather trust in a superstition than put their faith in the living son of God. If that doesn't describe America today, I don't know what does. I don't know what does. Do you want to get well? Our culture in America today doesn't want to get well. It wants the benefits without a lifestyle change. It doesn't want to get well. So we can't help them. We can 
present them with brokenness. We can extend to them hope and extend to them wholeness. But what you need to be listening for is someone who recognizes that they want to get well. That's why scripture says, be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Be ready to give an answer because I can promise you if I walk up to you and say, hey, I know you're broken and you have problems and I can fix you. Just pay attention to me and I have a solution for you. I've never in my life ran into someone that would receive that well until they see their brokenness and don't want to stay there. We can't help them. You know what we need? We need a move of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that makes the darkness of sin real in people's lives and creates a hunger for something of life. And that we extend that by the way that we live. We extend hope and wholeness. And wholeness starts with a decision. Do you want to get well? Second, wholeness is a fruit of faith. Now I'm going to go to a different story for this one. The story of the ten lepers in Luke chapter 17. Ten lepers come to Jesus. A long way off, they call out for Jesus asking for pity. Why? Because if... (laughs) Leprosy is one of the earliest accounts of COVID in scripture. (laughs) Social isolation, masks, if they talked, they had to cover their mouth. They had to be kept at a distance or you made someone else unclean. It was so repugnant that you might get that. And from a long way off, he says, they say to him, Jesus, take pity, have mercy on us. And Jesus says to them, go show yourself to the priest. He doesn't promise they'll be well, doesn't promise anything. But in that distance, in that moment, they see him, they cry out. He responds and says, go show yourself to the priest. And how many know what happened as they went on their way. As they went on their way, the Bible says they were cleansed. All of them obeyed. All of them went on their way to the priest. Lepers acknowledge that they're sick. When you have body parts that are falling off, sores on your body, and it's compared to various other kinds of diseases today, but whatever it was, it was so dangerous that they were to be kept to themselves, and as they went on their way, they saw the disease withdraw, and they were clean on their way to the priest. Now, what do you think the normal response would be? That they should all ten run back to Jesus, who had healed them, and pay homage and worship and give thanks (laughs) but they don't they all obeyed the word means to cleanse by curing it's a word that's used of physical stains and dirt the disease was stopped now watch here's what I believe and I can't I can't exactly prove this and some theologians would debate me but I believe there's something significant here that we miss in the story they were cleansed A cleansed leper would still have his scars. A cleansed leper would still have the evidence of the disease. The disease was stopped, but if an ear had disintegrated, it wouldn't grow back. If the ends of fingers had died and fallen off, they wouldn't grow back. The sores would leave scars. They were cleansed and could go back into society, but they weren't restored In a moral sense, the word cleansed here means to be free from the defilement of sin, to be free from the guilt of sin. But we know what happens in this story. There's one leper that returns. When he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. Isn't that an amazing story? How ungrateful. Leprosy isolated you from your family. Leprosy isolated you from culture. Basically, you had, to, you, had to, you had to depend on people who would throw food to you or would leave something for you to find. They were the outcasts and the lowest of the low because of their illness and their disease. They're left without resource. And the greatest picture of redemption that we have, I, I could go into the whole story, there's not time this morning, The greatest picture of redemption we have is in the cleansing of the leper. 
when that is gone, you can rejoin society. You can go back home. You can celebrate with your family. You can engage culture again. And they just went on to their priest and never returned. Not only do some people want freedom from their symptoms, some people are satisfied when they get their answer and they don't really want a relationship with Jesus. They just want the problem to go away. Some want the symptoms to go. They needed the problem to go away, but they didn't return. We're great. That was wonderful. Yeah, there was some guy we hollered out and he healed us. But one comes back and begins to worship. One comes back and I, I want to suggest to you that when God does a miracle, be sure to give thanks. Be sure to give thanks. I believe you should thank him as long and as hard afterwards as you prayed for the solution ahead of time. We live in a, a culture that's not very good about giving thanks. Just in culture as a whole of saying thank you. When I was, again, went to Bible college, and I'll never forget this. It offended me greatly, but it really helped me. Um, there was, um, I needed out of the living situation I was in, didn't see any way out. And a couple in the church offered me a place to live. And so I moved in with them when I was home on breaks and during the summer. And I just thought they were like my parents. You know, your mom does your laundry, right? How many of you, when you were at home, your mom did your laundry? How many of you ever said thank you? No, mom does laundry. Meals are prepared. Who says thank you? It's meal time. Around our house, it was eat it. There isn't anything else. Cream corn on white bread. Anybody have that for supper? White gravy and diced up bologna on a piece of bread. I mean, we, I, I thought that was normal. I didn't know there was, I thought Captain Crunch was candy. So you ate it and got done and went on your way. So I'm living there and she's doing my laundry and she's fixing my lunch when I go to, and I know this, it sounds horrifying for me to even tell the story, but one night she called me into the living room. I'm getting ready to go back to college. And she said to me, I have made your lunch every day. I've done your laundry every day. We've provided you a place to live. They charged me a little rent, which was wisdom on their part. So I'd realize I needed to have a responsibility here. It wasn't hardly much at all. And she said, not once, all summer long, have you ever said thanks. I was thankful. I really was. But thanks unexpressed cannot be received. Love unexpressed is never felt. And I felt so small, I could have walked underneath the bottom of a door. I felt so little that... Part of wholeness, I believe, for the believer is learning how to be thankful for the ways that God blesses us, that you won't be whole if all you want is your symptoms to go away or you want your disease to go away. That that should, shouldn't that burst forth in us with a heart of thanksgiving? Seems like it should. Now watch what happens here in this story. Jesus says to him, we're not all cleansed. We're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Now watch. All 10 were cleansed. One came back. And Jesus uses a different word here. He said, we're not all 10 cleansed. But he said to the man who came back, rise and go. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. That's different than cleansed. It's a different word. It's not a synonym. It means something else. 
I've watched people who have been healed but maintained the identity of a sick person. I've watched people who have been blessed financially but maintained the mentality of a poverty-stricken person. Sins forgiven doesn't mean a sense of restoration, that his faith made him whole. And I don't know if that means that his scars went away, that his ear grew back, or whatever else happened. But I know in that moment, he was no longer a healed leper. He was a child of God who had been made whole, that there's another step beyond your healing that we have to enter into. There's a step beyond Jesus forgiving your sins. There's a step beyond asking Jesus to come into your life. And that's wanting to build a relationship with him, one in which you'll be forever thankful. Do you want to be whole? Learn to be thankful. Learn to be thankful. Come back to Jesus let that relationship be developed because wholeness begins with a decision. But wholeness is a fruit of faith. Faith will bring you back to him. And he said, it's your faith. Now watch this. It was Jesus' word that made him clean. It was his faith that made him whole. Because he came back and expressed thanksgiving. Your wholeness starts with a decision. Your wholeness will be a fruit of your faith. And last, wholeness needs a maintenance plan. Let's go back to the pool of Bethesda. Do you know when Jesus told the man to get up, take up his bed and walk, that he didn't even know who Jesus was? Didn't even know who Jesus was. Jesus withdraws. Something more needs to be done in his life he has no idea who healed him. And Jesus slipped away, which actually protected him from the religious leaders who came to him and said, who did this? What are you walking on the Sabbath? You can't do that. And that's the mark of religion when our rules get in the way of people being made whole. Yes, who did this to you? He said, I don't know. I don't know who did this. Then Jesus came to him. Found him at the temple. Reveals himself to the man. <laughs> and he confronts the man who was healed, confronts the religious leader and said, oh, now I know who it is. It was Jesus that did this. It was Jesus that did this. So here's what I, um, I want you to grab and we'll get to that in a moment. Wholeness begins with a decision. That decision will move you to a place of faith. That if you allow your faith to grow in the midst of your problem, you'll be cleansed, but your faith will move you to wholeness. But being whole doesn't mean you're going to stay in a healthy place. Have you ever watched people that God delivered from bitterness go back and pick it up again? That God has delivered from addictions that go back and pick it up again? I'll never forget one of the lessons that really stirred me as a early in ministry, there was a, a, a man who was involved as a teen challenge director, I, I believe, it's been that many years ago, but I believe it was in Ottumwa. And he'd been delivered from drug addiction, and I couldn't tell you at that time what the street drug of choice was, what he was using. But I'd heard that after years of sobriety and of working with other broken men and women, that he was back living on the street, that he was using drugs again and no one could reach him. He was whole, but he was broken again. How does that happen? And I talked to someone who met with him and talked to him. I didn't know him that well personally. Said he was playing basketball. And a basketball bounced and hit him in the nose, broke the bridge of his nose, caused him some incredible pain. And they were giving him pain medications, but nothing would stop the pain. And he knew that there was a street drug, that if he went back on the street, he thought one dose will stop the pain and give me some relief. I just need one, one opportunity, one more hit. And it was that one more hit that pulled him back into the addiction and put him back on the street. When he's made you whole, you need a maintenance plan. 
You need a way to hold that together, to keep walking in that. Wholeness today doesn't mean wholeness tomorrow. Healthy marriage today doesn't mean healthy marriage tomorrow. Having the joy of the Lord today doesn't mean the joy of the Lord tomorrow. You've got to do something. And Jesus comes and reveals himself. That's primary. You've got to know who Jesus is. And I'm convinced that if you want to maintain your wholeness, you need to talk about it. You need to tell people about it. You need to testify to it. It'll hold you accountable when you begin to tell people what great things God has done for you. But he says something else to him. See, you are whole. Stop sinning or something worse will come upon you. (laughs) This is so simple. But the lifestyle that moved you into brokenness can't be maintained when you move to wholeness. You can't go back to the old way of living. I had a a friend, older, is a father of a friend, unique character, um, loved the Lord, and he had some some idiosyncrasies, but he he was um, a heavy smoker. And he said that he told the story how he wanted freedom from that addiction and he was prayed for. And he said, I'm telling you that the moment I pray, they prayed for me, the addiction was gone. And he said, I didn't have any desire to smoke. It was taken completely away from me. How many would like to have a, a story like that? Anyone in addiction would love to have a story like that. Years went by and he started to think, what did I find so attractive about that anyway? What did I think that was so good about that? And he thought, maybe I should try one just to see why I liked it. So he bought a pack and he smoked one. Thinking that Jesus would do for him again what he did before, that he'd be free, that he'd be delivered. And he said the addiction came back on me 10 times as strong as it was before. And it was months and months of working at it to break that addiction again. And he said to me, why did God do it for me the first time and not the second time? I said, he made it too easy for you the first time, which made it too easy for you to go back. And he's doing this to set a safeguard. So you'll have to fight your way out and go. And he said, I'll never I will never do that again. You see, once you've been made whole, you need a maintenance plan. Don't continue to sin. Don't go into that lifestyle lest the worst thing comes on you. The worst thing that can happen, Jesus said, in a demon-possessed individual is to have that demon cast out and nothing else put on the inside. And that spirit will come back with seven more worse than himself. You can't go back into that lifestyle and think you're going to escape. And we can so enjoy the blessing of being whole that we forget the pain of being unhealthy or broken. You need a maintenance plan. You need to be as passionate now as you were when you started. That the word of God needs to continue to matter. That you need to invest yourself in the work that God's called you to do. That your faith needs to be priority. And you need to be more desperate for his presence today than you were in the day that you were made whole. Go your way and don't sin again. So I don't know what he had done. I don't know if he had done something Silly, he was in a rodeo with wild donkeys. I don't know what caused him to be put in a place that he couldn't walk. But Jesus said, don't go back there. Because whatever you've come out of, a worse thing will come upon you. You need a maintenance plan that will cause you to grow and develop and continue to grow and develop. So this morning, before we can extend wholeness, We need to walk in wholeness. And if you're in a place of brokenness, watching online, here in the auditorium, in the chapel, if you're in a place of brokenness, (laughs) nobody can help you, dummy, till you make a decision to get well. If everything around you is in constant turmoil, you need to decide that you don't want to stay sick. Do you want to get well? Or have you learned to enjoy the benefits of your dysfunction? 
Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And then you've got to move forward in faith and let your faith develop till you become whole. And then don't go back into the way you were. Develop a maintenance plan. Because then we can say to a world, as the lame man said at the pool, I laid there for 38 years until Jesus came by and he made me whole. He healed me and made me whole. And here's how my life has changed. And I'm not going back into that old way of living. Not going back. I remember talking to a young lady, now watch, that had grown up in our church, who became an exotic dancer in Des Moines, came back as a young adult, gave her life to Jesus, and then went back into that lifestyle. I saw her again later when she came back the second time and really began to grow in her faith. And I said, Why, what happened? She said, you know, when I first came back, I couldn't pay my bills. I couldn't make ends meet. And I knew if I just danced one more time, I could make enough in a night to pay my bills for a month. And when she went back, a worse thing came upon her. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? A maintenance plan to stay healthy. Don't think that you'll escape. And then let's offer that to a world around us. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. I'm not trying to lean on anyone this morning. I'm just saying, if you are in a place of dysfunction, Jesus can make you whole, but it starts with a decision. And I just wonder if there's anyone this morning by an uplifted hand that would say, Pastor, pray for me. I need, I need to make a decision to follow Jesus. I need to make a decision to leave my brokenness behind. I need to make a decision to move forward in faith and be whole. If he's moving on your heart, would you just slip your hand up? Yes, thank you. Yes, yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, you see the hands that were raised. And that raised hand, I believe, is an expression of a decision to move forward out of brokenness into wholeness. God, I pray you'd move on their hearts right now that they would surrender themselves fully and completely to you. That they would, as I'm praying, that they would pray and ask you to be their everything, their all. Let there be a hope that arises in them that leads to wholeness that I'll not stay where I am. I'm going to move forward in my relationship to God and see the wholeness that you have for us. God, would you move on their hearts right now? We're believing you for that miracle touch, that supernatural touch that comes from heaven. Let it settle with a confidence that you can be trusted, that we can walk with you, that you have wholeness for all of us. Let's stand together and take some time right now to worship him. Would you do that with me? The God of wholeness is in the house. Thank you. 
is a progressive walk. When you have one area where he makes you whole, get ready, he'll show you another area where you need to be made whole. It layers and you continue to journey. In fact, I think the greatest danger you'll ever be in is to say, I am whole and in need of nothing. You're on a pathway to destruction because how many know there's an area in your life that he's still working on? He's still working on mine. If you love him, let me hear your hands this morning. <clears throat> Berean Church exists to extend hope and wholeness to broken humanity. Coming up to Easter, I want to begin a new series next week and show you that Job, earliest book in the Bible, I want to show you that Job saw Jesus and the revelation that this man had who went through some of the greatest trials of mankind, Job saw Jesus. I want to show that to you as we prepare for Resurrection Sunday. Amen. God bless you. Uh, thank you for your giving. Thank you for your faithful generosity, giving online in the mail. And if you're new, please fill out a card, drop it in the box so that we can connect with you. We want to get to know you better. Help us do that. Amen. God bless you. Shake someone's hand. Be a blessing today.